Hey, what's up, you guys? This is Bert. I'm the lead pastor at True North Community Church. Thanks for tuning into our podcast. I'm going to have a little something to say to you at the end, but for now, let's dive in. All right, this is week four in a message series called Right Here, Right Now. We've been working our way through the book of Esther, and if you haven't been with us, uh, here's the quick wrap-up. Here's the summation. There are four main characters in the book of Esther. The first is Xerxes, king of Persia, king of the entire Persian empire. The second main character is our title character, Esther, Xerxes' new young wife. The third character is Uncle Mordecai, Esther's uncle Mordecai, who is her advisor and confidant. And the fourth main character in the narrative is the bad guy. His name is Haman. So here's where we're at in the story. Esther is the new queen of the Persian Empire. Xerxes' previous queen has uh, displeased him. She was banished. They did a nationwide search for the most beautiful young girl and the most girl who would most please the king. Esther rose to the top, and as Pastor Bobby and Kathleen over the last couple of weeks have helped us understand, this was not a great thing. This was not a woohoo. This was a like you know, this was a dark thing. This was participation in this American Idol uh, competition was compulsory. This was not something people volunteered for. But Esther was chosen. And we learned and we have continued to learn the two big teaching points that rise up out of the book of Esther is that you are where you are for just such a time as this and that God is always at work behind the scenes, always. So what happens, Esther rises to become queen and she keeps her heritage hidden from King Xerxes. She doesn't intentionally mask it, she just doesn't volunteer the fact that she's Jewish. And Xerxes doesn't ask, and so he doesn't know. Now we cut to a scene of uh, this issue between Uncle Mordecai and Haman. Haman is a pretty important guy in the kingdom. Haman is, uh, he's, he's, he's a palace official. He's used to being treated with respect and deference. Haman is used to getting all the best seats at restaurants. When he shows up, he gets the best table right away. He's used to everybody bowing to him and showing him respect. And Uncle Mordecai does not respect Haman. In fact, Uncle Mordecai has no regard for Haman at all. When Haman walks by, Uncle Mordecai just kind of goes like this. And he doesn't bow and he doesn't show deference. And what we see pretty quickly in the narrative is that Haman is pathological. He's got anger issues. Anybody here with anger issues? Oh, several of you. Yeah. Here's how you know if you have anger, anger issues. If you're driving on Long Island, you already know. You guys already know. Do I even have to finish the illustration? I don't even have to, right? You're, if somebody cuts you off in traffic, and you could, in that moment, positively murder them, like you could absolutely, like if you wish that your car was equipped with guided missiles, if you could just destroy, like every once in a while, you just have a murderous impulse. Haman has a murderous impulse towards Mordecai, but he doesn't check it. It's a splinter that becomes infected. It's an infection that goes septic, and the sepsis poisons his soul. Haman hates Mordecai so much that he decides, not only am I going to kill Mordecai, I'm going to kill his entire race. I'm going to kill his entire people group. And so he goes, Haman goes to King Xerxes. He's got Xerxes' ear. He's a palace official. He goes to Xerxes. He says, Xerxes, there's a group of people in your kingdom, a group within the group, 
that have gone poisonous, a group within the group that threaten our very way of life, a group within the group that hate you, a group within the group that, that, and he uses the language of genocide, a group within the group that must be exterminated. They're like cockroaches. They don't deserve to live. And Xerxes, Xerxes kind of goes, there is? Oh, that's terrible. We should do something. What should we do? Well, I think what you ought to do is issue a, a decree that can never be reversed, that on such and such a date, this group of people just gets exterminated, that it's open season, that everybody can kill them and take their stuff. I think that's what you ought to do. And Xerxes, this seems good to him, and he goes, yep, sounds like a plan. Take care of all the Jews. Exterminate all the Jewish people. Do it. Go ahead. Of course, not knowing that his own wife, the queen, is Jewish. So now Uncle Mordecai talks to Esther, and he says, sweetheart, look, this is where it is. You are where you are for just such a time as this. You ha now is the time. You have to go tell the king of your heritage. You have to go tell the king that you're Jewish, and, and, and you've got, you got to do it now. There's just one problem with this. One does not simply approach King Xerxes unbidden. Even his wives, even the queen, cannot just stroll into the temple courts and have a conversation with this guy. You have to be summoned, and if you approach the king without having been summoned, one of two things happens. He dips his scepter, and you touch the scepter and are received, or he does not dip his scepter to you, and you are executed. That's how they roll in King Xerxes' world. So Esther's scared to death. She's got this opportunity where she could play a part in a vast, amazing story, and she doesn't want to. She's like, I didn't ask for this. I didn't, you ever feel like that in life? I didn't ask for this. I didn't sign up for this. This was not in the brochure. I'm not supposed to be going through this. I didn't want to be here. I don't want this. That's where Esther is. But she is where she is for just such a time as this. And God has been working behind the scenes. And she is obedient to what God calls her to do. She steps up, risks her own life. And here's where we pick it up. This is the book of Esther, chapter 5, beginning at verse 1. <clears throat> on the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace just across from the king's hall. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, what, is, what, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. And Esther replied, if it please the king, let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I have prepared for the king. The king turned to his attendant and said, tell Haman to come quickly to a banquet, as Esther has requested. So the king and Haman went to Esther's banquet. And while they were drinking wine, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you even if it's half the kingdom. Esther replied, this is my request and my deepest wish. If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request and do what I ask, please come with Haman tomorrow to the banquet I will prepare for you. Then I will explain what this is all about. Okay, so she risks her life the king receives her warmly, so that we dodged a bullet there. And now the king says, what do you need, Esther? What can I do for you? How can I help? Well, I just want there to be a party. I want to just have a little dinner party, the three of us, me and you and your buddy Haman. We could get together. And Xerxes is like, mm-hmm. 
All right. So he does it. They arrange it. They're sitting there drinking their wine. They're in their cups. They're, they're, they're getting into the night. And Xerxes leans over and goes, all right, come on. Man of the room, you ever asked this of your wife? Tell me, what do you really want? Like, what's, what's the question behind the question? There's ob- you're obviously getting at something here. You're working something out. I know I'm ignorant and I'm a stupid guy. Like, just explain it to me. What is it? And, uh, and she goes, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. No, if it pleased the king, she's so respectful and so deferential. If it pleased the king, have Haman come tomorrow to another banquet that I will prepare. So that's two banquets in two days for the three of them. So now... Excuse me. Um, Haman is feeling great. Haman, Haman's like the guy, right? He just got invited to dinner with the king and queen. So Haman leaves the court. He leaves, leaves the courtroom, and he's like, yeah, I sure am the man. Me? Oh, yeah, yeah, I was just having dinner with Xerxes and Esther. <laughs> no, 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 just the three of us. Yeah, just, you know, just hanging out. They're crazy. Xerxes is crazy. I'll tell you. Ah. And Esther really knows how to throw a bank. If you ever have the opportunity, I'm going to tell you, you should really take Because, I mean, it's, they're so cool. He's just name dropping. He's, he's blasting this stuff. I mean, he's taking, he's taking selfies with these two. He's blasting this out on his social media. He wants everybody to know that he was hanging out with the king and queen, and it was just the king and queen and him. So his stock has gone up several points in his own estimation, and he's going to leverage this moment. The trouble is, he leaves, when he leaves the palace, <coughs> he leaves the palace by the palace gate, Here's Uncle Mordecai. Uncle Mordecai is at the palace gate, and everybody else is bowing, and everybody else is deferential, and everybody else is just, you know, like, whoa, Haman. And Mordecai just goes, like this. And it, it chafes at his very soul. Haman goes home to his family, and they're like, how was it? I mean, you got to go to a banquet with just the king and the queen. That's so cool. Nobody gets that. And he talks about how wonderful it was. And then in the scriptures he says, but all of it is worthless when I see that Mordecai sitting at the palace gate. All of the good things that happened to me are worthless. Haman has an anger issue that has polluted his very soul. Now that's not what this teaching point is about. That's not what this message is about. But if that shoe fits, you go ahead and put it on. Because he's allowed his anger to so poison him that he can't enjoy any other thing in life. He's allowed his anger to get on top of him in such a way that now even though he's enjoying rich blessings, he can't, he can't take in any of it. He can't be fully present. He can't be in the moment because he's just ticked. So, so, so angry. So his fa- and his family, <clears throat> his family are scared of him in such a way that they won't call him out on his anger. Nobody there, there's nobody apparently in Haman's life to say, dude, why does this guy bother you so much? Who cares if he doesn't bow? Let it go, dude. You got so much other good stuff going for you. You're a palace official. Look at the life you lead. Why don't you just not worry about it? Nobody says that to him. Instead, what they say is, hey, I have an idea. Why don't you set up like a 75-foot pole in the yard and ask Xerxes to have Haman impaled on it? To have Mordecai impaled on it, I mean. Like, why don't you go? You're you're friends with the king. You're hanging out with him. He's going to give you whatever you want. I mean, he greenlit you for genocide. He'll, 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 He'll grant you this. 
set up a big pole, prepare to have Mordecai impaled on it. This seemed good to Haman. So he did it. Set up a big pole in his backyard, big sharp stick to have Mordecai impaled. And he makes his way over to the palace to make this request of the king. Cut to a scene of King Xerxes with a bit of insomnia. Chapter 6, verse 1. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. In those records, he discovered an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot of Bigthana and Teresh, two of the eunuchs who guarded the door to the king's private quarters. They had plotted to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give to Mordecai for this, the king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. Who's that in the outer court, the king inquired. As it happened, Haman had just arrived in the outer court of the palace to ask the king to impale Mordecai on the pole he had prepared. So the attendants replied to the king, sorry, so the attendants replied to the king, Haman is out in the court. Bring him in, the king ordered. So Haman came in and the king asked, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, whom would the king wish to honor more than me? So he replied, if the king wishes to honor someone, he should bring out one of the king's own royal robes, as well as a horse that the king himself has ridden, one with the royal emblem on its head. Let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials and let him see that the man whom the king wishes to honor is dressed in the king's robes and led through the city square on the king's horse. Have the officials shout as they go. This is what the king does for someone he wishes to honor. Excellent, the king said to Haman. Quick, take off the robes, uh, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the palace gate and leave out nothing you have suggested. <laughs> this is sitcom stuff. This is comedy stuff. Like, like if this is a cartoon, Haman's jaw drops to the floor like, Goo -goo. you know, the music goes, wah, 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 wah. you know, like, he's just like, and now cut to a scene. Here's Mordecai up on the horse, got the king's royal robe, riding the king's horse, and here's Haman, walking him through the city square going, this is what the king does for those he wishes to honor. This is what the king does for those he wishes to honor. He do, he's got to do all the stuff, that he, all the accolades that he hoped happened to him, he, he now has to give to Mordecai. That would be a wonderful and comedic end to the story. Unfortunately for Haman, that's not where the story concludes. Verse 7. So the king and Haman went to Queen Esther's banquet. This is the second banquet. On this second occasion, when they were drinking wine, the king again said to Esther, Tell me what you want, Queen Esther. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. Queen Esther replied, If I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king 
to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had merely been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Who would do such a thing, King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. Haman grew pale with fright before the king and queen. Then the king jumped to his feet in a rage and went out to the palace garden. Haman, however, stayed behind to plead for his life with Queen Esther, for he knew that the king intended to kill him. In despair, he fell on the couch where Queen Esther was reclining, just as the king was returning from the palace garden. The king exclaimed, will he even assault the queen right here in the palace before my very eyes? And as soon as the king spoke, his attendants covered Haman's face signaling his doom. Then Harbona, one of the king's eunuchs, said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. Then impale Haman on it, the king ordered. So they impaled Haman on the pole he had set up for Mordecai, and the king's anger subsided. So Esther finally reveals her heritage. She is where she is for just such a time as this. And she, she, she points Haman out and says, this is our enemy. This is the one who would sell me into slavery. This is the one who would have me killed. This is the one who would have, have me and my entire people executed. The king leaves the room. He grows angry and leaves the room because he's conflicted. Haman is an important guy. Haman is, presumably, his friend. That's why he doesn't just snap his fingers and, and end his life right there. The king leaves. Haman looks to plead for his life. The queen is reclining on a couch. Haman falls to his knees next to the couch and leans upon the couch, which, to go near the furniture upon which the queen is reclining. Same thing as assault in this culture. Like, you just would never do that. The king comes in and sees Haman on the same couch as his wife and says, that's the end of it. And they give him the black bag. They bag him. They put a bag over his head, and that's the end of it. So now we could, we could drop a secondary teaching point here about how when you make evil plans for others, those plans come back to bite you on the butt. Anybody ever had that happen to them? Sure you have. Yeah. And you found, perhaps there are some of you in the room that have had to learn this one the hard way multiple times. You ever, you ever, anybody besides me ever have to learn something the hard way more than once? Yeah. I'm, I'm that blockheaded. Yeah, I am too. When you plan evil for other people, when those, those schemes and machinations that we, we tend to involve ourselves in, 
The passive-aggressive social media posts, the whisperings, the things we say and do with others to, to, to paint a situation, to spin a, a, a scenario so that we look a little better. That stuff, it, not only does it never work, it comes back to bite you. So we could do a whole teaching point on Haman's pathology, but that's not where we're headed. Where I want to head as we wrap this up is this. Esther is where she is for just such a time as this. Where are you? Where are you today? I think you are where you are for just such a time as this. Right now, there are things in your life that you're struggling with. There are things in your life that you're wrestling with. There are places where God, for every single one of us, there are places where God is calling us to trust him, where God is calling us to trust him, to step out in faith. I feel this in my own life. I know you feel it in yours. Where God is calling, he's just saying, trust me. Step out in something. Take a little risk. Don't just... Don't just sit on the sideline. Now, what happens? Let's just call an audible on this, can we? What happens if Esther says, you know what, Uncle Mordecai, I can't do it. Sorry. I'm not your huckleberry. Go find somebody else. I can't, I can't pull it off. Unwilling. I'm not going to risk my life. I'm pretty sure I'll survive the genocide. I'm going to cover my own butt. I'm not, I'm not doing it. What if Esther takes a pass on this thing she's been called to do? What happens? Is this the end for the Jewish people? The answer is no. The answer is no. If Esther doesn't step up, God will save his people another way. He'll find somebody else to do it. Yes? Yeah, because... Because God made a promise that these are his chosen people because this is the people group that carries the bloodline of Jesus Christ down through eternity. God is absolutely positively not going to allow his chosen to be annihilated. He'll find somebody else to do it. So this isn't, Esther, you have to do it. You have to save our people. It all depends on you. This is, Esther, you have a part to play in God's amazing story. It's up to you if you want to play it. You could sit on the sidelines and let the game pass you by and be an observer, but you will miss the opportunities that God has given you to, to be a part of something vast and fantastic. Don't do that. This isn't God. You ever heard a sermon like, oh, God needs you. God, you, you, have, to, you have to do the work. You got to go witness to everybody. You got to do the thing. You got to go. You're like, God needs you. God's counting on you. God's depending on you. What will God do without you? It's ridiculous. It's absurd. God is omnipotent and omniscient. He needs nothing of us. He favors us with an opportunity to play a part in the vast, amazing story that he is telling. He's not depending on you. God doesn't depend on us for anything. He favors us with an opportunity to play the part he's given us to play. God has favored you today with an opportunity to play, to play a part in the story he's given you to play. He's, he's challenged you. He said, come on, step up. Let's get off the bench. You are where you are for just such a time as this. 
Whether it's offering forgiveness to that person who offended you, whether it's making a concentrated decision to live kinder, to reflect God's love and acceptance to the world around you, whether it's a decision to invest a couple of hours of your month in the sons and daughters of our congregation in our kids' ministry, whether it's something that God's called you to do financially, whether it's something God's called you to do with your career, your life, your love life, your whatever it might be, play the part that God gave you to play in his amazing story because you are where you are for just such a time as this and what you don't see, what you might not get as you weigh the risks is that in setting up this moment, God has been working behind the scenes. He's been working behind the scenes to set you up for victory, to set you up to trust him. And trusting him is going to increase your faith, and you're going to love how your life looks with more faith in it. You get to choose. You could spend your life all about you and just be all inward focused and you know, cover your butt and make sure nobody, make sure there's no risk involved and, and play it like that. Or you could play the part that God gave you to play in his amazing story. I hope you do. Because you are where you are for just such a time as this. And God is always at work behind the scenes. And with that, let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you for the chance you've given us to play a part in your vast, amazing story. We know you don't need us. You don't require anything that, there's nothing, there's no way we can help you with something, Father. You don't need our help, but you bless us with a chance to play a part in your story. You favor us with an opportunity to be a part of what you're doing. Father, may we, may none of us be so foolish as to pass on that opportunity. I pray you'll quicken our hearts, each of us, to do that thing that you've called us to do in the here and now that we might play the part you gave us to play, believing that we are where we are for just such a time as this and that you are always at work behind the scenes. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, thanks once again for taking the time to listen. It's an honor to have you with us. If you'd like to support our church financially and help us continue to put this content out there for free, that would be a really big deal to us. We're completely supported by the contributions of the people that come to our church. And if you'd like to help, you can do that online at truenorthchurch.net slash give. Or you can do it with a text message. Just text the word TRUENORTH to 77977 on your cell phone and you'll get a prompt leading you through how to do that. Thanks again for dialing in. See you soon. Bye-bye.